0: Tonight is May 27th, 2015. <laughs> the title of tonight's message is The God Who Answers by Fire. We already had a little bit of that tonight, so we're going we're gonna to hopefully keep that going. The God Who Answers by Fire. Um, uh, I had the privilege of doing a, a, a few <laughs> things this week. I, I know if you guys are from around, most of you from around this area, and obviously uh, with all the flooding um, today, I spent some considerable time at one of uh at, actually it 's a, a property that 's close to where John manages and uh, i I had some pictures somewhere, but it 's uh you know car deep uh, in water and, and very uh, about all of the first floor properties and this entire section for this apartment community got flooded all of them and uh, so we were there today and just bringing some food and doing some different things it 's amazing when um, when believers especially uh, Red Cross will come in, and, and I'm thankful for their help. And other organizations will come in and do something, and I'm, and I'm very thankful for people who are uh, giving in nature. But there's something about believers when they go in somewhere. The darker the place, the more that we get to shine. We got to go today, and as we were doing things, it's amazing the, the contact that you're having with people. And nothing more than bringing pizza, bringing water, helping rip out carpet when we could and move it and helping the workers and helping the people to move stuff in and out of their house. And it's amazing because it literally starts changing the culture of what goes on. It, I remember also my wife and I, we got a chance. Uh, we were in Louisiana when Hurricane Katrina blew through. That was obviously very memorable in our lives. Um, I was in Baton Rouge, so it didn't, the storm didn't impact us very much. But we got a chance to go down to New Orleans a few days after the hurricane hit. So we're within one week of the time span. I think it was about four or five days, and we got asked to go down there. And we were part of a group, and (laughs) they gave us these orange T-shirts to wear. The name of the nonprofit organization that we were going with was PRC Compassion. Never heard of the group before. It was a part of a church that we were with, and we got to go down there, and um, at the time, they had all the interstates blocked off. When you got down far enough, uh, or close enough to New Orleans, they just were turning you around. State troopers were there, cars blocking the road. They are like, no, go away. And, and so we, would, we were in a line of people, and they were just turning everybody away. And we, rolled, we got to the spot, and we rolled down the window, and they saw the orange shirts. They were like, hey, it's the orange shirt, guys. And the state troopers just backed up, and we just drove right on down there. It's a weird thing to be on an interstate and be the only vehicle. Just a little creepy, a little creepy going over the spillway and going down, going down in New Orleans. We got there, we drove around, and you, you know the, it was publicized enough. You guys saw actually some very similar sights to what we had here in Houston just a couple of nights ago with the flooding and vehicles and houses and all that good stuff. My wife and I got to go down into the um, the New Orleans airport. <coughs> Um, it it actually has changed forever the way that I look at the New Orleans airport. Because we actually came in kind of a back way. We drove out on the tarmac because it was the only accessible point. So we drove out and came back in like where a plane would park. We park and we walk in the back door. By the time that we got there, let's just say it was five days after Katrina had hit, there were all kind of military personnel. Uh, Generals, I mean, all kind of brass. They were u s marshals there were military people, there were police, there were all kinds of people it was probably the safest building in the world at that moment I mean it was just it was just everybody was there and what we did was our orange shirts um, I found out actually gave us a higher rank than anyone else on the property we were we had full access we would go somewhere uh, we got to one of the gates um, you had 12 hour shifts that we had to do so it was like seven p m to seven a.m that we went in there and so at, at one of the gates on the sea concourse, had a group of people, so I just started going up and talking to them. They had been there. They got literally pulled out of the water, got put there, and it had been about 10 hours since they had gotten out of the water, so I was just talking to them. I was like, hey, are you guys, have you have you eaten yet? Or as you say in country around, jeet yet, right? Jeet yet? Well, we were talking to them, and none of them had eaten, so I was just like, you guys literally, just stay right here, give me 10 minutes, and I will find food for all of you people. And so I went over (laughs) and I found, had to go downstairs and I found out where they were keeping all these MREs, the meals ready to eat, the military rations were there, stacks of them, pallets full. (laughs) And there was a general that was standing there talking to someone else. I said, excuse me, general, I'm going to take this pallet of food and go feed people now. Is that all right with you? Oh, yeah, great. So I took a whole pallet and we fed the people. Um, We keep doing this all night. We're finding people, they're bringing people in. We get to the point where it's about 2 or 3 in the morning and things have slowed down just a little bit. And it's a little quiet, so we, were just, we just decided we we're going to keep working like what real believers do. We, just, we grab mops and we started mopping. I mopped a humongous portion of the sea concourse in the New Orleans airport. Never, never will I look at that the same. I'm like, this is a lot of ground to mop. <laughs> this is a lot of space. But so from 2 to 4 or 5 in the morning, we're just, we're just making ourselves useful as teams. And, and I was mopping the floor. And I just loving the Lord and just kind of thinking about things and just kind of praying to myself. And I had my head down and just wiping the floors. And I didn't realize, but I kind of look up and as a general, um, three-star or four-star general, I don't remember. We'll go with three-star, that kind of stood there and, and he had his entourage. Three in the morning, three-star general. Entourage and I'm like, excuse, excuse me, General. I'm sorry for standing in your way. And he stops and he looks at me and he's like, "Son, don't you ever say you're sorry." You guys, meaning the orange shirt guys, that's actually what they were called. Just the you orange shirt guys are doing more for us than we can imagine. Actually, you guys are doing the best work in this whole airport right now. We're like, that's interesting. Basically, we were doing all the things that nobody else wanted to do. We were taking care of the people. There was lots of logistics. There was lots of things running around. But what I realized in those moments and like just this past few days with all these flooding that have taken place, as believers, we do best when things are the hardest. When it's the darkest outside, our light that we possess because of Christ, it shines brighter when it's darker out there. Sometimes we lament because of how dark things are getting. And I I understand where that's coming from. The thought that has been rolling over in my heart and in my mind the last few days is the darker it gets, the brighter I should be. The darker it gets, the brighter I get to shine. The darker it gets, one little light starts to make an incredible impact. And they notice that it's something different. You guys know we're at a church here. We're not trying to be like the world. We're trying to be very distinct from everyone else. Not only are we trying to be distinct from the world, but we're trying to be distinct from churchianity, not Christianity, not the truth of the word. But we're trying to stay away from even a cultural Christianity that starts to be something other than Christianity because of the light that we possess. Um, as I was thinking about this passage here in First Kings 18. This is where my thoughts took me to as I was thinking about being a light and really standing out. Um, Just a little bit of background. In 1 Kings 16, you find out that King Ahab came into power. King Ahab. Uh, Let's look at 1 Kings 16, verse 29. In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, son of Omri, became king of Israel, and he reigned in Samaria over Israel 22 years. Everybody say "22 22 years. Ahab, son of... Omri did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. How would you like to have that on the tombstone, right? How would you like to have that as your legacy that you left? More evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, in other words, that level of sin, he thought it was nothing. But he also married Jezebel, we should be familiar with that name, daughter if, uh, Ithbal, Baal, king of the Sidon, Sidonians, <laughs> and began to serve Baal and worship him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah pole and did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than did all the kings of Israel before him. Wow. In Ahab's time, Hel of Bethel rebuilt Jericho. Last time we heard about Jericho was when Joshua was marching around it and the walls were come tumbling down. This man rebuilt Jericho. He laid its foundations at the cost of his firstborn son, Abiram, and he set up its gates at the cost of his youngest son, Segub, in accordance with the word of the Lord, that the word of the Lord had spoken to Joshua, son of the nun. Right at the end of Joshua chapter 6, it actually says this, if... if Joshua pronounces this curse. If anybody tries to rebuild this, it's going to cost them their first son. It's going to be the expense of their first son and their youngest. And this, it's exactly what had happened. Verse, chapter 17, verse 1. We're going to skip to 18 in just a second. But chapter 17, verse 1. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. This is all the background to 1 Kings chapter 18 that we're going to get to. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Leave here, turn eastward and hide in the Kiriath ravine. East of the Jordan you will drink from the brook and I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. Don't you just love how God can cause provision from people and from places and from things that you can't even imagine? Let me encourage you. When you are following the will of the Lord, please do not indict the Lord by fretting over your finances. Be diligent in your finances. Be faithful with what he's given you. Do what you're supposed to do. Don't be frivolous. And don't indict the Lord by being fearful. (laughs) We are are amongst the richest people in the world. You're like, you're talking to the wrong crowd. No, we are. We are. This room of people is amongst the richest in the world. Let's not cause our hearts to trouble or tremble if there are All the zeros in your bank account are in the wrong place, right? (laughs) They're all all coming before the decimal. Um, Now, on down to chapter 18 and verse 1, it says this, After a long time, everybody say, a long time. time. After a long time, in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. So we've been approximately three and a half years now between the time that he originally said it and now. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria. I love the fact that the Bible's clear on things. You know, Jesus went and fasted for 40 days, and it says, and he was hungry. <laughs> you're like, duh. But it's filling you in on, on the important details to understand that this is of exactly what you think it would be. And Ahab had summoned Obadiah, who was in charge of his palace. Obadiah was a devout believer in the Lord. This is not the prophet Obadiah. This is a servant in Ahab's house. While Jezebel was killing off the Lord's prophets, Obadiah had taken a hundred prophets and hidden them in two caves, 50 in each. And he had supplied them with food and water. Ahab had said to Obadiah, Go through the land to all the springs and valleys, Maybe we can find some grass to keep the horses and mules alive so we will not have to kill any of our animals. It's so bad they can't even find grass to feed their horses, right? Which is an amazing thing. It makes it even more amazing that Obadiah hid 100 people and provided them with ongoing food and water to sustain these prophets, which I think it's kind of hilarious. I I was talking to Pastor Matt earlier, and I went, what was he feeding? He was feeding them with the food that was coming from Jezebel's very house. (laughs) She was trying to kill prophets and this guy, because he was the governor, he was the manager of the home, was taking food, was was siphoning off food to make sure that God's people, again, were going to get provided for. Verse 6, so they divided the land that they were to cover, Ahab going in one direction and Obadiah in another. As Obadiah was walking along, Elijah met him. Obadiah recognized him and bowed down to the ground and said, is it really you, my lord Elijah? Yes, he replied, go tell your master Elijah is here. Pretty clear instructions, and then Obadiah has a very interesting response. What have I done wrong, asked Obadiah, that you are handing your servant over to Ahab to be put to death? Wait, what? As surely as the Lord your God lives, there is not a nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to look for you. Over that three and a half year period, he's trying to find where Elijah was. Would you come back and fix this problem that you created? And, when, uh, and whenever a nation or kingdom claimed you were not there, he made them swear that they could not find you. But now you tell me to go to my master and say, Elijah is here. I don't know where the Spirit of the Lord may carry you when I leave. Now, Ahab had a legacy that was said he is the most evil man that had ever come at that point as king of Israel. Elijah has such an incredible legacy that he's living. It's such an incredible walk with the Lord that Obadiah is afraid that God is going to just transport him somewhere. That's the fear. Look, I'm going to go get my master, and when I come back, you're going to be like, gone. Like, we might even see you on the way there, and you will just poof, and you're you're out of here. Right? If I go and tell Ahab, and he doesn't find you, he will kill me. Yet I, your servant, have worshipped the Lord since my youth. Don't you like it when people try to read their resume to you? Right? If you're out somewhere in your restaurant, and you start talking to them, and they find out that, you know, you like, you're involved in church or you work in a church or you serve God wholeheartedly, don't they start reading a resume to you? Well, uh, I went to vacation Bible school when I was four. <laughs> and you're like, oh, very nice, excellent, right? Yet I, your servant, have worshiped the Lord since my youth. Um, haven't you heard, my Lord, what I did while Jezebel was killing the prophets of the Lord? I hid 100 of the Lord's prophets in two caves, 50 in each, and supplied them with food and water. And now you tell me to go to my master and say, Elijah is here. He will kill me. I love the real people that are in the Bible. Elijah said, as, as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, I will surely present myself to Ahab today. In other words, calm down there, Junior. I'll be here when you get back. Right? Now, this is part of the story that gets a little bit more familiar. Um, so Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, is that you, you troubler of Israel. Um, A, I'm not the troubler of Israel. <laughs> B, I didn't cause the famine this is in uh, the drought. This is something that God had ordained, Well, but we'll pin it on Elijah here. Verse 18, I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You and your daddy and your mama. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Like, let's really get down to it. When you start having conversations with people and they try to throw things at you, all you Christians are hypocrites. Hang on just a second. Hang on just a second. Perhaps you're upset at the sin in your own life and now you're transporting that to me. Let's let's calm down here just a minute. Let's go ahead and really dig into this and find out what it is that you're upset about. So tell me why you're so angry at that. That would be my. That's a typical response that I'd have. All you Christians. So tell me, what made you so angry? Were you ever in church? Oh, well, let's let's. And that's exactly what Elijah did. Now, some of the people, and then he tells Ahab this. Now, some of the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel, and bring the four hundred and fifty prophets of Baal. Everybody say four hundred and fifty. And the four hundred prophets of Asher. Everybody say four hundred. Now. I'm thinking that's about 850 people, right? Somewhere close to there. This is an interesting phrase after, who eat at Jezebel's table. Now, that could be very little and there could be 850 people that sit around Jezebel's table. Or it could be that these people have the exact same spirit that Jezebel has about her. They're all, as they say, birds of a feather who are flocking together. She's actually trying to kill the prophets of the Lord and these guys are all have found favor with her so they're all kind of in cahoots together. Verse 20, So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him, but if Baal is God, then follow him. Kind of reminiscent of a Joshua In chapter 24, it says, choose this day who you're going to serve. Like, if you're going to do this, let's just do it wholeheartedly. Let's not do it with a half-hearted commitment here. Choose this day. How long will you waver between two opinions? How long are you actually going to have an idolatrous spirit about you? Where you think that you can mix the things of God and the things of the world. When you put those two things together, you no longer actually have the things of God. (laughs) It's contaminated." People try to look at it and go, oh, this is, we're going to mix both of these. No, you can't mix them. Once they're mixed, you no longer have the things of God. You have something else. How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, then follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. Love the next few words. But the people said nothing. <laughs> like, there's, there's a group of people that they've assembled on Mount Carmel there's 850 prophets, 450 and 400. They're all there, all these people, and Elijah's looking in and saying, make up your mind. Just make up your mind. I, whatever you're going to do, just do it right now. And there's literal, if it was a movie, they'd have the crickets chirping in the background, right? Everybody's just kind of looking at each other. But this is exactly what God is trying to cause them. This whole incident is nothing more than saying, choose. Choose the God that you're going to serve. Verse 22, then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left. By the way, Elijah was being honest with what he felt, but he was not accurate in that. We find out in the next chapter that Elijah is not the only one left. He's giving us a picture of his feelings here, but in chapter 19, he says it two more times to God, and then God finally answers him and says, oh yeah, by the way, I've got 7,000 people who haven't. Bow their knee to Baal. I got 7,000. You think you're the only one? I got 7,000 more. If you think that you're the only one where you are at this place in life, I can assure you God's got plenty more people who can stand. It's It's a tactic that the enemy always used to try to isolate, to try to pick one off, to try to pull you apart from the group, whether it's physically, whether it's emotionally, you might be here and still not be here. I do that all the time, by the way, not necessarily here, but I can be somewhere and not actually be there. Christy asked me this the other day. She just went, Hey, where'd you go? I had I had been sitting there the whole time. Like we were, I don't know if we were on the couch or at a table or something, and we were sitting there, and she was like, Hey, by the way, where'd you go? Oh, sorry. <laughs> My bad. I, I did, I left. Right? <laughs> I did I not physically, but I left somewhere. I'm sure that I'm the only male that does that. but Sorry. Uh, The enemy loves to do that. Don't let the enemy do that to you. Don't let the enemy pull you off. Don't let the enemy think that you're the only one. Those are the same tricks that he's been using for thousands of years now, and it keeps working on people. They think that they're the only one that nobody else understands, that they're really not. By the way, at this church, I'm I'm just going to say it this way. There's the in crowd, there is no really. there's no in crowd. It's just people who decide they're going to just hang out together, and if you're there, you're in. <laughs> just hang out. Find people to fellowship with. It's important to do that. If people aren't inviting you, invite yourself. For real. We're grown-ups now. They didn't ask me. I'm sorry. I apologize now. You're all invited. Invited to what? I don't know. You're all invited now. <laughs> I love you. But you're invited. Can we come? Yes, come to my house. Yes, absolutely. We will have a pool one of these days in our apartment community very soon. Yes, come swim. Yes. The answer is yes. We love you. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Every one of you, okay? So never say again that nobody ever invited you, because I just did. I invited all of you. <laughs> I'll try to be there, too. <laughs> Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left. (laughs) But Baal has 450 prophets. And and Elijah is a powerful man of God and we're going to get back to him in just a second. I I just want us to see ourselves in Elijah for a second. I just want us to see ourselves in this part of it. I'm the only one and these guys have all these people. If you're not careful... Even Elijah, and we know what he's about to do, right? We are, this is not a surprise story where anybody's going to go, oh, I didn't know he was going to do that. We know what he's about to do, but he's still got this little twinge that God has to deal with in the next chapter. God has to confront this issue in Elijah in the next chapter. But here he's laying it out, and it can sound normal. I can, let me encourage you. Sometimes it may even to yourself sound like you're just, I'm just stating facts. Be careful when you're stating fact that you're not sharing more of your heart than, than you may even be getting, giving it um, credit for. This is really showing him something about his heart and he's going to go and do powerful things and God still has to deal with this little Elijah, the man of God. And it's going to come to a head later on, but we'll keep going. Verse 23, Get two bulls for us. Let them, 850, choose one for themselves. Let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he's the one. He is God. The God who answers by fire. I think that we need to put ourselves in more places in our lives where it's going to be either the God that answers by fire, or not. If we don't ever have these bold steps like this, even in the midst of some other things going on inside of them, it didn't stop them from going, let's just do this. You want to do this? Let's do it now. Right? Uh, I, am a, I am a pretty patient person overall. There are some areas where I might lose it, but I, I, I've got a pretty chillaxed kind of personality. Can I encourage you that that is not always exactly what God is looking for. Sometimes we've got to have some teeth. Sometimes we've got to be the lion that says, I feel like a lamb, but we've got to step out and be a lion in what God is calling us to do. There's a fierceness, there's an intensity that has to be there for all of us. Whatever our personality is, doesn't matter because we are reflecting Christ. So he can be both the lamb and the lion. And in this case, we're seeing a lion. The God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people said, now they're going to start talking. Oh, this is getting good. Then all the people said, what you say is good. Oh, I like this plan. Because really, we're still just sitting back. We're not actually having to do anything. We're just going to watch. And if something amazing happens, we'll go ahead and traipse on over to that side. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first. Since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given to them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Wow. O Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah shouted to taunt them, or he began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a God. Perhaps he is in Uh, He is deep in thought or busy or traveling. This is a very cleaned up version in the NIV. The actual translations are perhaps your God may be in the restroom, busy at the moment. It is more, it's more, this is kind of nice, which I, I can only imagine Elijah actually taunting. First of all, one person taunting 850 other people, that's kind of a cool scene. No, do it louder. Oh, yeah, he's the God. Sure he is. And just keeps amping them up, right? I, lo- I love this. Okay, now, now, honestly, some of you guys, your personality is you like to stir the pot, right? Like to egg things on a little bit. I mean, there, I'm, I'm sure there's nobody. We have people in our household that do that. Some people over here in the youth section in my home. We like to stir the pot, right? Like to, I just love it. He's just stirring it. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords, not just with knives. They got a sword. Just started cutting themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom until the blood flowed. Not little paper cuts here, Folks. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying. They were prophesying. that's an interesting word to use there. their frantic statements um I used to call them prophelying, right <laughs> kind of i'm gonna say it's it's just my own will, and I'm hoping that God will kind of back me up. just prophelying right frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. This has been all day. Hours and hours and people dancing and screaming and prophesying and calling on their God. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. <laughs> at what point does even the crowd go, seriously? Like, we're going we're to make this. Then Elijah said to all the people, and here, and here we are at, our, at what we need to look at. Then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. There's something about being drawn back to exactly what God's doing. There's all the commotion. There's all the things that are going on. People have lost attention. What's going on? And Elijah says, come near to me. Come here to me. They came to him and he repaired the altar. Come here to me. Find the unity and fellowship amongst the believers that we're supposed to have. Then we've got to repair the altar of the Lord, which was in ruins. And how does that, how does that happen? How does, how does it become repaired from ruins? Verse 31 says, Elijah took 12 stones. 12 stones, one for each of the tribes. Now, when I was growing up, my thought was more like 12 rocks. Like pocket-sized rocks, right? This is more like those big, ginormous landscaping you know, these 12 stones. Keep your place there and turn to Joshua chapter 4. I was just amazed at how many things in this passage just echoed back to the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 4, and it says this. Joshua chapter 4. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priest stood, and to carry them over with you, and to put them down at the place where you stay tonight. Again, not a rock that you're going to slide into the pocket, because these are going to be the very basis for the altar here. These were memorial stones in Joshua so that when your children ask you, hey, what are those for? They're going to be set up in a pile, these uncut stones from the, from the riverbed. They're going to be and produce an altar of remembrance unto the Lord. So that for generations to come, that people who look there will see, hey, do you remember that? Hey, hey, dad, what does that mean? Hey, mom, what does this mean? Let me tell you about how we crossed, our people crossed through not only the Red Sea, but we cross through this Jordan River at flood stage. Let me, let me remind you about what God has done. And then back in 1 Kings now. Verse 31. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes, descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. As if the people didn't know this, Right? took 12 stones. The Bible goes through an explanation here which should be very, very plain and yet it was important to denote that exactly what was happening. Come here to me. They came to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord which was in ruins. Elijah took those 12 stones, one for each of the tribes, descended from Jacob to whom the word of the Lord had come saying, your name, the Hashem, your name shall be Israel. Hold your place there, turn to Genesis chapter 12. When the Bible's talking about the name, we know that it means about the character. It's referring to your character, to your body of work, to your reputation, to exactly what it is that that you are called, what people see you as. Elijah is using this moment, he's saying, look, you've got to rebuild this altar. You've got to come together, come here to me, and there needs to be a rebuilding of those sacred places in your own life. So how do we start rebuilding sacred places? Well, let's, let's start the rebuilding of the sacred places by remembering what God has done. Let's get 12 stones. Let's get one. Let's start to re-identify ourselves with exactly what God has done in our life. How is it that we, as people, can forget as much as we do? It, it boggles my mind about how many things I forget. How many times has God come through and how many times do I still fret on the next thing that comes through? I do it all the time. (laughs) And this gets played out even in the next chapter. We're not going to get into chapter 19, but Elijah does all that he does here. He gets to the next chapter. He's just outraced a chariot. He's run in front of a chariot for some 10 to 15 miles. He gets there. Jezebel says, hey, uh, you're going to be dead in the next 24 hours. I'm going to kill you. And he says that he gets afraid for his life and he turns around and runs. He sits under a juniper tree, a broom tree. He sits down and goes, Lord, I'm no better than my ancestors. Why don't you just kill me? (laughs) Time out, bro. You just called fire down from heaven. You just defeated 850 people. You just outran a chariot to the next town. You just did all this and literally... In one continuous story, then he completely forgets. And he's like, look, I'm, I'm not worth anything. Just, just take me home, sweet Lord Jesus. Just take me home. Hey, calm down for a second. Just, just slow your roll. How quickly he forgot, how quickly the people of God forget what he does in our life. If he's helped us to get this far if he's working in our life in unseen ways, just because we don't see certain things, we start losing heart. We start getting frustrated. Well, God, I thought I'd be further along than I am right now. I thought that my life would look so different than it does now. Join the club. (laughs) Welcome to Christianity. I can't tell you how different my life is now than what I had anticipated years ago. I do want to say that my life is better now than I anticipated, far better, because God always does in a way that is not going to bring glory to you. My plans, maybe you're different than me, but my plans always put me at the dead center of everything, put me at the dead center of a spotlight, the dead center of, of the applause of man. And God said, I actually love you enough not to give you what your, what your life what you think you want your life to look like. Yeah, I've learned if I'm not willing to vacuum the stage, then I shouldn't be standing on the stage. I mean, I, you, you just learn these things every time going, oh, yeah, today, today was a blast. Today was a blast. I just knocked on doors in an apartment community and responded to the people, some of them who, when they saw the logo that I was wearing, they just literally burst into tears. I don't know what we're going to do. I know. I know. Let's, let's just talk for a few minutes. When we were in New Orleans all those years ago, that orange shirt, and people just look at it and go, oh. you as believers, you carry something different about you. I've shared this before, but just as it fits here, when I was uh, in college, my senior year, I was drum major at LSU. I was the king band nerd <laughs> at LSU for marching band. And I'm telling you, God spoke it clearly, just as clearly to my heart, the very first time that I walked out on the field in Tiger Stadium, and the whole stadium is looking at me. Bands doing their thing, and I walk out all by myself. There's nothing else going on in the stadium. Guys with the cameras are there. It's just me. Got my drum major mace, and I'm walking out. 90,000 people start going crazy. We... We march out and we do our thing and the band starts playing after a certain, a certain drum intro and the crowd was so loud, I cannot hear the 300 plus member band behind me. I can't hear it. I'm like, whoa, that's kind of weird. I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> I wasn't expecting not to hear the band because it was so loud and I'm out there kind of taking all this in and going, Lord, this is really neat. This, Lord, thank you for this opportunity and I'm telling you, it was through that whole process that God spoke to my heart and said, you know why they're cheering? It's because of who you represent. It's who we represent. <laughs> it was never about me. I was one in a long, 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 long line of drum majors. hundred and something years that the band's been in existence. I'm part of a, a brotherhood, a sisterhood of these leaders in that group. I'm just one of many. That's exactly how I feel in the kingdom. Anytime that I get a chance to represent this church or talk to someone about this church, I love it because I know that whatever they say, I'm just getting to be a representative for you guys. There's no glory on mine. It's like, no, this is is a real church. Like, you could really come to our church and actually be healed. It's crazy. Like, you can come and actually feel God's presence here. I, I don't know what to tell you. Like, you need to come. Please come. I'm representing these great people. I'm representing a great God who moves in spite of us. Come on. Genesis chapter 12 says this The Lord said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And we know that this is the heptatic blessing, the sevenfold blessing that's here. But the one I wanted to focus on was says, I will make your name great. And obviously God has done that to Abraham. We're still talking about him now, thousands and thousands of years after. But back in first Kings 18, he's reminding them of their name. He's reminding them. As a parent, it's easy because we talk to our kids and we're like, hey, you're a Sutherland. We don't do that. This, this is how we do it. You need to do it this way. Because you represent us. We're, gonna, we're a team. We're going to stick together and we're going to do these things. He's reminding them of their character and what their reputation and what their body of work should be. He's calling them back to remembrance. He said, he's called for unity. He's called to remember the things that the Lord has done because of the 12 stones. He's reminded them of the name that they carry. Verse 32, with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two seas of seed. The trench part was not the normal part of, a, of an offering. You don't see that other places where the trench was dug around it. And the two seahs of seed. I was like, why are they measuring it with seed? And we know they're going to fill it with water. Maybe sometimes we have to be thinking not only about ourselves, but about those who are going to come after us. The actual word there is zera, It means seed, like as if you would plant a seed, but it also means offspring, and your children, and your posterity. I can see that it hints towards that here. Verse 33, He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it a third time. So how many actual jars of water did they pour on the altar? Twelve. We have twelve stones representing the twelve tribes. We have twelve jars of water that are poured on this. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. Verse 36. At the time of sacrifice, of the evening sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, O oh Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. I love the fact, most of the time in the Old Testament, you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's the same person. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. We know who they were talking about. But I love the fact that because he's trying to recall them, This is your name. This is who you are. You are sons of Israel. He says, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Lord, back me up here. Answer me, O Lord, answer me so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. I am so glad that we serve a God who can turn people's hearts back again. We must keep our hearts pure, but let's not throw away the people whose hearts need to be turned back to Him. Let's, when, when we went out today, when you go out places, when you reach out, let's not forget about there are some who need to have their hearts turned back to Him. There are some who need to turn their hearts to Him, but there are some that just need to turn their hearts back. And let God be a God who answers by fire for them so that they will turn back. I just want to encourage us to always have, we've got to have a tension between us growing here and us seeing the them that's out there. That needs to be a constant, I hope that it's a constant thing in your life. I think um, us, my wife and I, my family, were a cares team. You guys know that. I think that's one of the best things for us because it forces us not only to worry about this group of people, but to worry about the people that are literally our next door neighbors. Not some figurative version, but our literal next-door neighbors. Do we know them? Are we making an impact on them? Are we talking to them about the Lord? Are we helping them to get their little girl on the bus when they can't do it? Are we being effective in the kingdom actually around us? Actually in our own community? Because we want to keep that tension in us. Where it's not just about this. Because I can tell you, my heart is to definitely think about you guys. And to pray for you. And to be thinking about this place. This place consumed with thoughts towards it. And I think that's good. And it's important that we say, Lord, would you turn their hearts back? Lord, would you remember these? Lord, would you highlight the ones that we should go out and find? Would you help us to notice those who are not noticed by anyone else? God, would you give us the opportunity to serve these people? Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so that these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Verse 38, Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice. Listen to this. The fire of the Lord fell. Amen. He's the God who answers by fire. It burned up the sacrifice. Well, amen. That's good. Yay. Oh, and the wood. Wow. Torched it. Turned it to ash. Oh, and the stone. Whoa. We're starting to get to some pretty intense heat, right? <laughs> you can cook the bull, and now we're burning through the wood. We've burned the wood. We've burned the stone. We've burned up the stone. We've burned up the soil, and oh, yeah, it licked all the water up that was in and poured out. Completely annihilated this thing. Unless anyone come back and say, well, you had some trickery that you did. You started a fire. Maybe that really wasn't water. Hey, look, <laughs> the God, our God who answers by fire will go so much further. He will consume the entire sacrifice, the entire remembrance that we've given, the very base that we have, the trench that we've dug around it, the wood that we've put on top, and the sacrifice. God will burn in all. Lord, I want you to burn this entire life that I have. I want you to burn it up with your fire. I want you to consume it. That everything I'm just going to lay it for you, and you're literally going to consume it all. Please don't leave anything, Lord. Don't leave anything of myself there. Would you just consume it all? Would you just consume it all for us? When the people, when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, "The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God." Then Elijah commanded them, "Seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away." They seized them, and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered them there. It's amazing, the fire didn't fall. <laughs> well, let me, let, me read, let me read a few more verses and then we'll, we'll wrap it up. And Elijah said to Ahab, go eat and drink for there is the sound of a heavy rain. I'm not sure if there was or if he was just saying in a prof- prophetic kind of way, hey, you can go ahead and eat because now it's, it, it's time. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Mount uh, to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground, and put his face between his knees. He is now praying. Verse forty three: Go and look toward the sea, he told his servant, and he went up and looked. There's nothing there. He said, seven times Elijah said, "Go back." Let me encourage you guys. If you're waiting on some things to be answered in your life, God has moved you've remembered your, alt, your sacrifice has been consumed, your entire altar has been consumed. Let me encourage you, if the rain isn't there yet, would you just keep going back to look? Would you keep understanding that in this case, seven times, the time of perfection, at the right time, the seventh time the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, <laughs> hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. No grass, right? They were trying to find grass for animals. So we're kind of over three years, three and a half years of drought, we've gotten to the point where all this is probably just dust on top. <laughs> I'm just saying, you might want to go ahead and get on your chariot before it gets stuck in the mud. Like you can go ahead and start now because it's starting to rain. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose, a heavy rain came on, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came upon Elijah, and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. Ladies and gentlemen, we serve a God who answers by fire. Do you understand what it took, though, to get the answer by fire which produced the rain? When God answers by fire, what did Elijah do? He pulled out those who were evil and pulled them out into the open. We can't have any hidden sins. We can't have any hidden thoughts, destructive things in our life. We've got to pull it out in the open. It's got to be addressed. You've got to say, uh, you need to pick whether you're going to serve God or you're going to serve Baal. Whether you're going to really serve God or whether you're going to serve our own emotions. You've got to figure out whether you're really going to serve God or kind of just do this thing but always be walking in fear which is not really serving God and you're trying to mix the fear with God and I'm telling you, you, get something else besides God. Are we really gonna do this the way that we're called to do? Are we really gonna address those idolatrous things in our heart where we put things above God? We put our worries and our fears actually call something else bigger than God when we worry, when we walk in fear. There's a sacrifice that has to be made before the fire can come. We have to deal with these things so that God can send the rain on our whole land. Amen? Amen? Amen. Would you guys stand with me?